Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 123, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. A student was raped by a classmate, but still had to go to school with him. What should have been done differently? And a new California law bans schools from suspending disruptive kids. Christina weighs in. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, why and how a school built a special wellness room just for teachers. Stay with us. Hello, everybody. Nick Cortigo here, and I'm joined by the Keto Principal, Christina Pollard. Christina. How we talked about the keto thing, and you were like, "Check we back with me did. in a couple of weeks." Here we are. Like, is it still I'm going? I'm so good? excited how's, to share. How's the keto lifestyle? I have completed a full month. Wow! I've lost 17 pounds. Nice. Um, I am wearing clothes I could not fit, and the biggest thing I think is just the other day we were having dinner, and my husband said, "Uh oh, it's getting frisky." I see your cheekbones again. Oh wow! And I mean, that doesn't sound very sexy, but that was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I haven't said a word. I've just been sticking to it and trying to do right. right. And people are noticing, but for him to really notice, he doesn't notice anything. And he noticed you in football season. Absolutely. You know? After a great win, by the way. Right. Um, and we were we were having dinner, and he said, um, you know, I, I'm noticing your cheekbones. I can see it all in your face, and I'm proud of you. And that made me happy. Is it easy? Are you still like chugging um, along? I think it's easy now. Yeah. I think the first two weeks were the most difficult because um, I was trying to figure it out. And then, of course, um, abstaining from particular foods. But now I find I don't even think about them. I mean, honestly, I, I like it. I feel better. I feel like I breathe better. I sleep better. I'm, I'm sleepy, first of all, on yeah. my own. And um, resting as much as I can at night. I mean, as an educator, we lose sleep, period. Right. But. I'm falling asleep and sleeping well, and I just feel like my energy level is up. And so the next step now, this is my fifth week, I've reduced my number of carbs from 20 to 15, mm-hmm. and now it's time to incorporate exercise. Okay, good. And energy level is up. So, All right, so I might be seeing you at the gym. You no, know, huh? i got to get toned up. There you go. Yeah. That's good. You're pushing right through the winter months where people normally slack off. So Exactly, and you know, my, my, my little motto right now is 45 and fine. Nice. Yeah. I like it. I, I just like told it. my age. <laughs> how, how often do you wake up in the middle of the night, like with a job like yours? Every single night. Yeah. I mean, when I had some higher stress jobs than, than I currently have, I, I remember when I was doing the weather, I used to always have this reoccurring nightmare that I had to do the morning show and I slept through it. And over I, and over I understand. Yeah. I start working. I go over, what did I say? How did I say that? Um, did I cross this off my list? Oh, I need to remind them. And then I worry and I get up and I begin to send emails, but I am using a fantastic app that my assistant principal told me about. It's called Boomerang. So I can schedule my emails not to go out until 6.30 or 7 the next morning. Uh, that way you don't like a lunatic. Well, yeah, because then it's like, oh my gosh, she's crazy. Why is she emailing right. us all night long? Go to bed. Right. So now they don't have to know that I'm up at 2 a.m. like clockwork. You, you, If you have 
have people working for you, you have to let them know. If you get an email from me and you're with your family, like don't oh, respond. They like, know. Ignore it. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, they know. Because yeah. um, generally it's, it's um, I'm up preparing my newsletters and staff development for the upcoming week. And I might have a question or need someone to provide me with something. And I'll say, oh, I better send it before I forget. But now I schedule them. All right. Well, tell us what's going on in the teacher's lounge. From what I understand, you're going to get a little heavy on us today. Yeah, there's a very touchy um, story that came across my desk this week. Um, It's about two students um, attending a a high school in um, rural upstate New York. And unfortunately, the young lady accused a male student um, on her campus of raping her. Um, I think the most difficult part about this story is that attending the same school after the accusation was made while waiting for a court date, they had to see each other every day in the hallway, every day in the lunchroom. Mm -hmm. And it made her so uncomfortable that I think it pushed her to the limits with her mental and emotional state. He literally bumped into her on purpose. He deliberately crossed her path all while waiting to go to trial. And no matter what she shared with the principal, no matter what the parents shared, of course, you are innocent until proven guilty. But I I honestly believe there was a grave mistake and injustice done against this young lady, but also with the young man. Um, she was put in a situation every single day of a school year that she should not have had to endure. And on top of that, he was able to flaunt the situation, mm-hmm. whether he was innocent or guilty at the beginning of the situation, um, and and flaunt it and really make life miserable for her, which was not a good lesson for him. Now, I have to tell you, in the end, he admitted it and he was proven guilty. Wow. Right. Wow. But even after that, he was allowed to go back to school and be in the same building. And once that got out, because let me tell you, she was bullied. People were texting her on social media, accusing her, you know, he's this popular guy and they didn't believe her. Right. Well, in the end, when he was proven guilty, he admitted it. He even sent her a text message apologizing. The students stood up for her when administration did not. So, so many things to unpack here, I guess. Yes. It's, it's my questions are really twofold. How should a school react before he's proven guilty? And then how should a school react after and I think the after is pretty simple. Like without Absolutely. a doubt, shouldn't be in the same school. You know, I, I don't know what official steps would have to be taken. It's that it's before. Mm-hmm. What should a school do to separate the two? There's two perspectives to consider. One, if it's hearsay and you're hearing about it as an administrator, you need to look into it mm-hmm. before you can make any decisions. But it was presented directly to the principal. This young lady, her parents, they brought in the information. They told what happened. They informed that a restraining order was placed, that a official um, charges. So actually a court-ordered restraining order was in place. Yes. Wow. Um, And he felt that that young man, like anybody else, was due proper respect because he was innocent until proven guilty. And, And there's a big problem with that because you don't know if he's innocent or guilty and very true. You don't know if she's telling the truth or not. But I think to protect the both of them Mm -hmm. and the culture and climate of your building, um, alternate learning settings should have been established for the both of them. And and so what does alternate learning settings mean to you? Does that mean separate schools or just find a way to separate them within the same school? Well, it just depends. For instance, if she was the one most uncomfortable and you want to try to protect her, but you don't know if she's a victim yet because it's not proven, you could have offered her homeschooling, could have offered her online classes. You could have scheduled their courses to where they did not interact on the same hallway. I don't know how large the school would have been. Um, Offer 
offered it to the both of them until the situation was handled so that it was equal and fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I guess I wonder, even if you do offer, you know, how about some homeschooling? How about we do, you know, after school, whatever. Or some protection for her. Someone should have been assigned to her or a point person at the time that class change occurred to make sure he wasn't able to bump into her in the hallway and laugh in her face. Right. The restraining order seems really weird to me. It seems like if there's a court-ordered restraining order before the trial, that the school should have to honor that. Unfortunately, um, during that process, I it was not mentioned. The school was not mentioned. It said in businesses. It said, you know, in, in the open public. Gotcha. Um, around her home. But not but the school, place that you School was not listed. At, and know? that was a probably a faux pas. But um, I think the other issue with it is even after that child admitted it mm-hmm. and he was proven guilty and waiting for particular charges or whatnot, he was allowed to come to school and even told that he could continue senior activities such as the prom. Wow. And that's when the student body really came unglued and they did a walkout. Wow. Um, And it wasn't until that occurred that some step was taken to go ahead and officially expel him because that's a safety issue. If he's proven guilty, you have another, you know, number of female students on your campus who are now not safe. And and to put every, this in context for everybody, this was a, what you would describe as a rural school district in New York. So everyone knew each other. Everyone knows each other. There may have not been another high school in the County for all we know. And that would be pretty likely in a lot Mm -hmm. of rural areas, but and families who mingle together, whether it's socially, within church, on committees together at the school, probably teaching mm-hmm. at the school. So a lot of feelings and emotions were high um, in this situation. So if, if they had a redo, I mean, do you think they would do it differently? It doesn't sound like it from what you've told me so far. Um, the principal resigned okay from his position um and so some justice maybe very true because he is the the person that was in charge of the consequences and the decisions Mm -hmm. and ultimately the superintendent of the school district regretted how the process was handled so i do think now um they would have handled it differently in retrospect but i also think this now prompts school districts to put measures in place because currently there aren't specific Mm -hmm. regulations such as the title nine regulations for colleges and universities. Right. And and so let's, let's just quickly dive into that a little bit because that was something that I actually um, worked on when I was a news director was um, looking at local universities and the title nine and the laws. And it requires right now all universities report a, an annual report. It's called the Cleary act. Yes. And anyone can just type in, say like their local university for us, University of Southern Mississippi, Cleary mm-hmm. Act, and you can quickly find a report that shows, I think, the last three years of crimes on any campus. Incidents reported. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It, yeah, it's not even it's not even official crimes. It is incidents reported. So that's that's exactly right. That's that's all it takes is somebody to go to. I don't even think the university police department. They just go to a person of authority and say, I was raped. Mm-hmm. And that needs to be reported. So the the actual act of rape. Like, just say, like, in 2018, 2016, 2017, like, what number do you think? That's a tough question because I would hope it's zero. I mean, that's our local university. Right. But realistically, I mean, if there's going to be actual just reports not proven, mm-hmm. I hope it's less than 100. 2016, three. 2017, four. 2018, three. I have a question. Mm-hmm. We really would need to do an episode on how comfortable are students with truly reporting issues of assault? Right. And and so I think you're 
your question would also raise questions that I have. I think we both hear those numbers so low, surprisingly I'm, low. I'm extremely part of me, shocked. Part of me is happy that to know that maybe rape isn't happening on the campus. That's at my local university in the, in the school I went to. But the other part of me is like, hmm, that's an eyebrow razor. And I don't want to pick on anybody. Numbers are the numbers. Sure. And that's why I'm comfortable talking about them. That's This is their what report. What programs and things are in place that truly teaches the culture of you are safe and this is a safe space for you to report it because there's a lot of kickback. Think back to this young lady that was in high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was being severely bullied in every aspect of her life. She didn't want to leave home. The University of um, Mississippi, Ole Miss, in Mississippi State, similar numbers. They're these Mm -hmm. like low single digit numbers. So I just wonder like how... I think if you would ask any person on campus, they would be shocked to hear those low numbers. True, so it's like, how, how are we getting there? I don't understand. That's true. But we also could could possibly just have um, other issues that we deal with in our mm-hmm. Mississippi universities. Uh, yeah, it's that, true. That are of greater you know, existence than, say, rape. And and I think, um, yeah, and I mean, if you go through the list, you do see, you know, grand larceny and other things. They're, they're way higher in the numbers. But uh, anyhow, I just wanted to point that out to anyone listening. Like, if you're curious about a university that's near you or maybe a university that your child's headed to or already at, that information is is publicly available. It's required by law that it's posted online. And I think it's actually supposed to be posted, I think it's the end of October. So mm-hmm. a new report should be hitting every university in a matter of days. Um, so um, go look it up and just kind of see where you stand. One other, th- one other thing that we need to consider is that a lot of our young people are very aware of what women and we will not exclude men mm. but specifically what women go through after reporting you know having been raped right um they're ridiculed they're not believed they have to live the cycle of the rape over and over and over the examination that has to happen mm-hmm. i mean all of that is just very harsh and very um emotional for someone to have to go through. And that may drive why the numbers are not as high. Mm -hmm. But I am going to say that I just hope that that's not really an issue um, for our Mississippi um, universities. And and, and, and I also hope the high numbers in crime will reduce in time. But it is alarming that there has only been reported two, three, maybe four. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, just something to kind of uh, keep an eye on and, and kind of track on your at your own pace. Um, it's a heavy topic, I know, but thank you for uh, bringing that story up because I think it's something that every district should think about. What if this happened in my school? What steps should we take? It makes you to, wonder um, how this story can impact school districts to start that conversation. Right, exactly. Um, so I've got one for you because this one hits right in your arena. Um, and, and you and I, so anyone listening knows, like we have not, you don't know what I'm about to throw at you here. I don't. It, it's not crazy, but but it was. it's a new California law that says um, it was just signed that says students may not be suspended for being disruptive between kindergarten and eighth grade, which I say that's, you know, right in your zone because you handle kindergartners through eighth graders. Um, Apparently, this law had already been in place. I believe it was from kindergarten to third grade in California, and they just expanded it all the way through sixth grade permanently. And I think seventh and eighth grade is like a, a sample, like it's maybe for the next five years, they're trying it out for the older kids. So what's ah, the, I have so a few what's questions. Right, go ahead. I may not have the answers. but Immediately, I want to know what's the alternative? What's the plan? What mm. professional development have they put in place? What support are they putting in place for emotionally disturbed students? As 
you know, no matter what, I'm a principal, but I will always identify as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And the heart and the effort and the planning that goes into providing high quality instruction and for a student to disrupt it. And we're not referring to chewing gum, smacking, giggling, um, maybe talking out without raising their hand. We're talking about severe disruptions, behavioral issues that are brought into your classroom and are not manifested because of poor classroom management. What is a teacher supposed to do and what alternatives are they offering the principals? Now, I do have a concern with primary children, kindergarten to third grade, receiving um, excessive suspensions. However, if your board policy has a discipline ladder after a number of those incidences Mm -hmm. and you've followed it carefully as well as you've provide that base tier one behavioral interventions, Mm -hmm. um, uh, sometimes removal from the environment is necessary for everyone's safety and for everyone's sake. But to stretch that from kindergarten all the way to eighth grade, I'd have to one, I I desire to see their data because they must have a chronic absenteeism issue related to out of school suspensions. And if they are flagrant and, and issued quickly and not without certain measures put in place, I understand. Now you're saying a law, that law supersedes school board policy? It seems that way. I mean, this was signed by the governor and it's going to apply not just to public schools, but charter schools as well. So then that now prompts these school districts to modify their discipline ladders, right? which are board policy. Okay. So, I mean, put this in perspective for me without giving away too much about your own personal experience. I mean, first off, like, what does it take to get suspended for being disruptive in the class? Like, are we talking about major outbursts? Like, I think it would have to involve a safety concern. If students are terrified, if students are threatened, a chair is thrown, um, you scream and holler and have a physical fit to where an entire classroom of students need to be removed. But also, again, remember I talked about repetitive behaviors Mm -hmm. and then what actions have been put in place to support the child. I think that determines before you immediately go to suspension. If a student is having, let's say not violent outbursts, but outbursts like they're screaming, shouting multiple times, like eventually that's going to lead to a suspension, right? Eventually, but what measures have you put in place? Do we have a timeout? Do we have alternative methods for that child that they truly understand to Mm. use when they feel anger or frustration developing within? Um, Do they have a hand signal that they can give the teacher? I need a timeout. I need removal from this room. Um, Are they seeing the school counselor on a regular basis to talk through the things that are causing them the frustration? Is it academic deficits? And so their way of getting out of doing the work because either they can't read or they can't master the skill, they're disrupting the lesson. You, You really have to know your children. So if I'm hearing you right, you're not a fan of this law. I would say I'm not a fan of it, but I'm also not a fan of quickly suspending students. I I believe in restorative justice. I believe in developing the whole child. I believe in having strong parent communication and allowing the parent to partner with you to help their children um, do a better job in the classroom in regard to their, their behavior. But I also don't believe that students can learn and develop if they're always at home. Can you get behind this for kindergarten through third grade? Does that make sense? Or do you find times where kindergarten through third graders, they need to be suspended? I will be very honest with you. In my experience, I have found instances where kindergarten through third grade students have been suspended under my leadership. Yeah. Um, but they are extreme situations. Right. And re- repeated situations where we have put in a number of interventions to support the child. Yeah. So not a lot, but it has occurred. Right. 
So uh, this one will be interesting to, I need to, to do more research and see if anybody's speaking out against this. I mean, if this is law, it says it officially go into effect, looks like July 1st, 2020. So it's not in effect just yet. But again, that kindergarten through third grade is already in place. But I would also like to see their numbers. I mean, if it is excessive and ridiculous and it is not um, reformative, it's not truly helping children repair their inappropriate behavior, then I understand why they're looking at it that way. Because remember, school funding is tied to attendance numbers, mm-hmm. especially during the months of October and November. But not only that, your school performance and student achievement rating can be negatively impacted by absences. And chronic absenteeism is just not for students that are sick. Mm-hmm. Out-of-school suspensions are calculated in that. So you're, are you suggesting that maybe the state of California is making this change to improve their funding t- due to absenteeism? In fun, uh, yes, I do think they're trying to improve their funding, but I also think that it's a, a measure to improve student achievement. Mm-hmm. Students can't learn if they're not in the classroom. Right. So I believe there's a number of factors that they're looking at. I would be inclined, um, very interested to see their data, their chronic absenteeism data for the last, say, five years and the progress or lack of achievement in the areas with high chronic absenteeism. If you are listening and you are a teacher in California and you have a strong opinion about this. We want to hear it. Yeah, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Yes. Bring it on. Let's do it. Our guest in today's Bright Ideas segment created a wellness, and I think it's fair to say a mindfulness room for the teachers. Debbie Rakowski is the staff wellness social worker of the Three Village School District. Uh, She's been working with the district for over 30 years on Long Island, New York, and she's here to tell us what sparked the idea for the special room and how she made it happen in her district. Debbie, welcome to Class Dismissed. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you because we've done episodes on these type of rooms before, but they've never been for the teachers. We've talked about like having a mindfulness room or, you know, a place to relax and decompress for students, which is which is great. But I saw that somebody was doing this for a teacher and it just kind of it just kind of hit me in the heart. You know, I was like, this is great to see what what sparked you to want to do this. So as you know, I said, I've been in my district for 31 years. I was a school social worker at a junior high school. And when I was working with the kids, I started to notice that the staff also, you know, had some issues. They were very fatigued and they would come in to speak as well. And I said, you know, we have so many programs for kids. I wonder if there's something that we could do for staff. So I started this uh, winter wellness series because here in New York, unless you'd like to ski, the winter is one of those times where <laughs> you leave work in the dark and you come home in the dark. And I would bring in different practitioners. Um, I took a faculty room and recreated it a little bit and you know, made it more zen and brought in different practitioners every Wednesday. And the staff just went wild for it. They loved it. And a lot of them still would come and see me for some counseling and they were going through some stuff. And I, as I said, we needed more for our staff. We do so much for kids. And that's great. And I dedicated my life to kids for 31 years. And I wanted to reinvent myself a little bit. And I saw the need. And so I said, you know what, I wonder what we could do for our teachers and our custodians and our secretaries and administrators and everybody else that goes into, you know, making a school a school. So, and, so yeah, uh, let, me, let me stop you for one second. If sure. I'm hearing you right, you you were actually a, a social worker designated Correct. to the students, but I guess just Correct. naturally these teachers started coming and talking to you because sure. they knew that you were a person they could bounce stuff off of? Yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, always 
uh, got around and talked to different people and went into different classrooms. And, you know, as a social worker, the, the social part for me in, in social worker is really what I identify with. So yes, and, and being there for 30 years, people knew that they could trust me and talk to me. And I started to listen to their concerns and their needs. And we do have an EAP program, which is employee assistance program. But I think sometimes what happens with that is when they make a connection with a person in the building, that's who they want to go to. So I just started to get my wheels spinning and take a million notes and listen to what people had to say. And uh, then I wrote a proposal and sent it into my district. Did you start hearing more from teachers about the stresses they were going through? You said yes. you've been doing this for 30 plus years. I mean, yeah. was it not like this 30 years ago? And you've only seen it. It was different. It was definitely different. I mean, you know, I, I would say in the past 10 years, I noticed that there was a very big shift. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with the complex parent and family needs and, you know, the high stake job demands. And there's the mental health issues that abound everywhere and the economy and, you know, the political says there's so much going on and, and so much more stress and schools are different now. And the other thing, Nick, that's different is, you know, I know for me, uh, when, when I started in the district, school was a very safe place for people to go. And one of the things that happens a lot with teachers these days is they go through this rehearsed trauma, mm -hmm. I call it, right. where the first day of school, we're learning about what do you do if an armed shooter comes in to your school and how do you protect your students? And so every day that those teachers are in school, they're thinking about that in the back of their mind. School is not a safe place anymore. It's got to be tough. Well, kind of set the stage for me. Describe sure. your, your, I guess you work for a whole district, correct? But I do. And then did I you do. put we this room, you put this room in one school in the district? Yes. It's kind of a pilot so program? We have a, very, we have a very large district. We have five elementary schools, two junior high schools, and one high school. The high school alone has over 2,000 students. Oh, wow. And I want to say one of the keys to doing this was that my uh, administration, our administration in our district is so supportive of wellness. And I couldn't have done this without them because they, they're really all about teacher wellness. And I think that that's, you know, that sets the stage to start. And so I wrote the proposal. Um, I, I handed it off to our administrators and they just loved the idea. I mean, they didn't even blink. They said, let's do this. Wow. And they decided to do a pilot program. They moved me from the junior high school. I moved over to the high school. We took uh, a classroom that was not being used and literally transformed it into uh, when you walk into that room, you do not feel like you're in a school, but it's much more than the room. There's a lot more that goes with it. Um, and they decided to make this a two-year pilot program and pretty much everything was paid for by grants. Now, if somebody's listening, of course, we're yes. going to have to try to describe this room to to them. And sure. of course, if, if you'll share with me maybe a picture or two, I'll, I'll put it up on the show notes if somebody oh, sure. wants to take that extra step to go see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But, but help me describe it. So like, what's it like for a teacher when they walk in? So when you walk in, uh, first of all, there is a uh, wood floor that's faux wood, of course, um, that really makes it homey. There are window treatments. There, the lights are completely different. They're not the usual school lights that are, are blinding. There's a water feature. There's soft music playing. There's uh, comfortable couches, zero gravity chairs, a massage chair, foot massagers, a project table that has uh, spaces for coloring, puzzles, journaling. There's a little meditation area. There's coffee and tea available all the time. And there's just the vibe of the room. And what's so interesting to me, when people walk in that room, not one faculty member has brought their phone in. 
nobody and there was no signs there's no signs that say don't bring your phone in but so nobody, they just like leave them in their classroom you know, yeah yeah they or they they leave them you know in their pocketbooks or yeah. someplace else they come in uh, i have my essential oils going so it people walk in they say oh my goodness i've had people walk in and literally cry they say i can't believe that this is wow. in our school and it's very comforting and all it takes for a lot of those teachers is 10 minutes they sit in a zero gravity chair. They listen to the nice music. They decompress, and then they literally can breathe when they leave and they walk back out, you know, into their classrooms, which is really nice. You say that the room brings teachers to tears. I mean, what yes. is it? What are they telling you? They're telling me that they feel taken care of. They feel heard. They feel privileged and blessed and grateful to have a place to sometimes just de- decomp- you know, decompress, just be in there and. Tune everything out for ten minutes. They only come in on their on their breaks um, or on their lunches. Um, so I'm open after school and before school. So sometimes they come in before or after, and they just really feel valued. Are Are you now full time attending? I am to the staff. I'm doing it full time. I did want. I was thinking of retiring and doing this in retirement, but when I brought it to the district, we made the decision that this really has to be a full time gig in order for it to, to, you know, be successful. And also the important thing, Nick, is that it's not just about the room, it's the programming that goes with the room. So I offer uh, something called workshop Wednesday. So every Wednesday do a workshops on different topics like managing anxiety, um, dealing, you know, adding and cultivating wellness into your life. And then I have lunch and learns every Friday where I bring in local practitioners, many of them alumni, which is actually a really nice perk. They come in and they do things on uh, acupuncture and uh, diet and nutrition and and physical fitness. And it, it's been great. And we offer free counseling, short-term counseling to any district staff member. All right. So so how did you outfit this room? I mean, did you just basically like look for stuff online? Did you go to Pottery Barn? How'd that work? <laughs> very, very good. Very good. Uh, I, I, I like to think the room looks like a cross between Pottery Barn and a spa. I had a vision in my mind about what I wanted it to look like. And I made reference to one of our secretaries in the district who does the purchasing. And I showed her some things about what I was looking for. And she was just able to be amazing and find a lot of different things. We looked together for months. And as I said, pretty much everything was paid for by grants. So there's no uh, you know, taxpayer dollars in the furnishings or in the building of the room, which which was which was very nice, um, yeah, very I, comfortable in there. I imagine some people. I mean, you, I think you kind of just answered the question, but you're not a private mm-hmm. school. You are a public district. That we are a public, public school. Yes, we are. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm going to ask you a tougher question. Yes. What? How did you, or did your management, or you ever become concerned about the optics of this? And I think anybody listening to this yep. show feels like this is necessary. Like teachers need this, but yes. there's people maybe who don't have kids in the district, have never taught, sure. and maybe thinking, sure. you know, this is too much. Well, I have to tell you, Nick. After being in education for over 30 years. You know, I always feel like teachers are defending their jobs because people will say, oh, you have the summers off, you know, how could it be so difficult? But nobody really knows until you're actually in there. And anytime you do something that's trailblazing, you have to expect that people are going to react. And I I was prepared for it. For the most part, we're getting tons of positive, positive comments. 
And then you do have a couple of naysayers who say things like, wow, if teachers have time to go into that room, they must be doing something wrong. Um, you know, where's our tax dollars going? How come they don't have this for kids? So I, I don't think they really get what it's like to be in a school system in this time in our lives. But yeah, we, we, we've had a, cu- a couple of people, you know, say some things, but it, it doesn't really affect me because the connections that I make with people every day and, and the positive words I've been getting have been phenomenal. And so is this room, are, are students allowed to peek in there? No. Or is this, this is like, oh, well, I mean, they peek it. You know, yeah. the, the interesting thing for me is after spending 30 years at this other junior high school, here I am at the high school now. So some of my old students oh, yeah, will course. sometimes walk by right. and, it, you know, it says on the door staff only, but they'll peek in and they see me and they, you know, want to wave and, but we, we don't allow students in that room. It, it, this really sounds like a cool thing. Okay, so you said you secured funding. Now we're we're yes. we're all about trying to give people tips. Like where yep. do you where do you go to get a grant for this type of work? Yeah, I mean they're, it's they're out there. You just have to, especially now, wellness is hot, and mm-hmm. wellness is in. I know some insurance companies are interested because it's prevention for them, and a lot of you know local grants and places that are are all about supporting wellness for for everybody in general. So it, it wasn't that difficult. I'll tell you that much. It's just a matter of, you know, asking and, and giving them your vision, not just saying, well, we want it's because it's not just about the room, giving them the vision and telling, you know, talking about prevention and, um, you know, how it helps abs- absenteeism and all kinds of stuff. So we actually had a lot of support for it. I guess when you're talking about a budget for this, and I know you guys don't really want to reveal like, you know, what you've had to, to round yeah. up to pull this off, but uh, I mean, it really probably isn't as much as people think, right? It's I mean, really not, Nick. I'm telling you, it's not. People spend money on far greater uh, things that are costly. But if you're a smart shopper, and you know, a lot of districts get discounts from Amazon Business and some of the other um, you know places out there that give school districts discounts, it it was very very doable. And for a lot less than people could ever imagine, particularly if you're a smart shopper. <laughs> so is this scalable? I mean, you, this is being piloted in, in a school. Do you think yes. you're going to see this in all your schools eventually? That would be a dream for me. And again, I think the problem that we would run into is I can create a room, but I'm one person and I would need eight of me to, right. to it's the staffing piece. I think that that would be our biggest challenge. But I do, I do know that having one in every building would, would really be phenomenal. A lot of the other buildings are clamoring for it. They're asking us. I've tried to create some time for them in, you know, in our day because we have different times that the build, buildings are open. So I'm trying to get to everybody. I do a monthly newsletter that goes to everyone. Um, and, and a lot of people have been coming over from other buildings to do counseling and other sort of things. I mean, do you not think though, I mean, I guess the, just having a room, even if you can't be in every school mm-hmm. at every time and there's only, you know, one right. of you, it, it, do you think just the room itself, I mean, is beneficial enough to the teachers? I do, but it, it can't be a faculty room. Okay. So there's a big difference for me between a wellness room and a faculty room. And I think, as I said to you before, when you walk into this room, people don't always want to bring their lunch in per se. And, you know, it's really, they're not allowed to bring work in. We tell people don't bring your work in. When you come in, it's just all about you. People don't um, socialize in that room as much unless we have a workshop. It's really just about unplugging. You really feel like it shouldn't be a lounge, so to speak. It's, it's really just to like uh, almost be by yourself, even if there's some other people in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Or to, you know, to fill your soul with some of the things that we have in the room, reading materials and other things. But I mean, if people had to take their faculty room and do it, that's what I did at my old school. I took the faculty room and transformed it. And it's just all about how you, what you know, what you add to the room to make it comfortable. Well, Debbie, it, it is really awesome what you're doing. I think, you know, you, anybody Nick. listening, you know, would say, this is what my school needs. And so saying that, I mean, mm-hmm. can you um, give me a point of contact or point, maybe a, a resource that we can pass on to teachers if they're like, I want to try to do this for my district. Like, where would they start? Just even in well, terms of Well, what they can do is they can email me and um, they can take a tour of, uh, it's called Wellville, W-E-L-L-V-I-L-L-E. That's the name of it because our high school is called excuse me, it's called Ward Melville. So it was a natural thing to call it Wellville. But I have um, my website online and people can actually take a tour of that. What I could do is I could send that to you and you could put it out there and they can look and, you know, see what the room, I think once you see the room, it's helpful. Right. And then, you know, just to talk to your administration, once you get your administrator's support for it, that makes all the difference in the world. No doubt, no doubt. Well, yes, please share that contact information and I will put it in the show notes if anybody wants to track you down um, or take a look at those pictures. Um, Debbie, are you ready for our pop quiz? Sure. All right. First question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to say history. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Uh, Mental health awareness. What does every child deserve? A second chance. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? I would say navigating the complex family systems. What's the best gift to give an educator? Uh, To make them feel valued. Which teacher changed your life? Oh, that's so easy. (laughs) My English teacher, uh, Miss Prep, changed my life because she was always there to listen and pointed out my natural abilities um, in writing and communication. And last question, pen or pencil? Pencil. Debbie Rakowski, it's been a great interview and congrats for all the work and congrats on pulling off your room. I really hope you guys can expand it through your whole district. This is really cool. Yes. And thanks for everything you're doing as well. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. Thank you.